The fact that some geniuses were laughed at does not imply that all who are laughed at are geniuses. Today's episode of History Obscura has been presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you and me to monetize our podcasts. Providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so we always know how much we're going to get when we include an ad from Podgo. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at p-o-d-g-o dot c-o. Tell them History Obscura sent you. Hello and welcome back to the History Obscura reading room. Some of you will probably remember the story of the unfortunate Giordano Bruno, a brilliant 16th century astronomer who was burned at the stake for his theory that the Earth moved around the Sun, and that perhaps there were other Earth-like planets out there in the universe with creatures not entirely unlike us. While our friend Bruno was not the only contemporary scientist and stargazer who came to such an unpopular conclusion, though he did have the misfortune of being a decades-long target of the Italian Inquisition. Other naturalists, as scientists were oft-labeled at the time, believed that Earth was simply too big and slow to move in orbit around anything. Of course, it didn't help that Father Church and all its rich, important members insisted that the Earth could only ever possibly exist— at the very center of all known things. Many scientists genuinely agreed with that idea, and were lushly rewarded for it. Once upon a time, one such person was born in 1546, and named Tycho Brahe. Shortly afterwards, Tycho was kidnapped by his wealthy uncle to be brought up in a Swedish castle. Tycho wanted for nothing. He was well-educated, clever, and cared for. His uncle had one request, however, in exchange for this life of luxury, and that was that Tycho dedicate himself to the study and practice of law. Then, as now, a university law degree could all but guarantee wealth and prestige. Law scholars could become lawyers, of course, start their own law firms, be appointed to judgeships, and of course, serve in a range of government positions. Happy to follow his uncle's advice, Tycho attended the University of Copenhagen, at no personal cost to himself, of course, from 1559 to 1562. It was during his time at the university that the young Tycho Brahe learned not only the complexities of the 16th century kingdom's bevy of regulations and edicts, but also discovered his own fascination with astronomy. 
That fascination only increased when Tycho witnessed a total eclipse of the sun on August 21, 1560. It was not only the blackening of the sun that impressed him, but the fact that astronomers had managed to predict the event to within a day of its passing. He thought there must be a way to predict such events even more accurately and to trace all the movements of the stars, sun, and moon to learn more about them. From that point onward, the young man was an eager astronomy student as well as a diligent student of law. He used Ptolemy's book, The Almagest, written in the year 150, to learn about the heavenly bodies in the sky. There, he read that the cosmos was centered upon the Earth itself. Tycho built models of the solar system and plotted star positions on their surfaces to remember their positions in the sky and calculate their distance from one another. The next years were a flurry of learning and travel, as Tycho's uncle arranged for him to undertake a European tour under the tutelage of 19-year-old Anders Sorensen Vedel. Upon the pair's visit to Leipzig University in 1563, they witnessed the conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn. That is, an astronomical event in which the two planets seemed to move very close to each other in space, occupying the same angle of ascension as observed from Earth. What 16-year-old Tycho Brahe realized that day was that neither the prediction tables of Nicholas Copernicus nor Ptolemy had pinpointed the event. It seemed that to move forward, astronomy required more documentation and regular daily observations. So, Tycho started to keep a very detailed journey of his own stellar observations. As his reputation as an astronomer grew, Tycho was hired to compose astrological charts for many clients. He did believe that the movement of the stars and planets affected reality, but was unconvinced that they represented a hard and true destiny. Nevertheless, there was money to be had in writing these charts, and so he continued to do the work, for celebrities and royals alike. In 1566, while studying at the University of Rostock in Germany, young Tycho found himself having a fierce argument with fellow student and a third cousin, one Mandrup Harsberg. While the two cousins were in attendance at a party held by one of their own professors, Tycho and Mandrup disagreed on which of them was the better mathematician. The argument was so fierce that it culminated in a duel. Mandarup was the victorious party, having sliced off his cousin's nose. Tycho came to forgive and even befriend Mandarup, but had to wear a prosthetic nose made of bronze for the rest of his life. It was kept in place with paste. Biographers believe that the most important astronomical event in Tycho Brahe's life occurred on November 11, 1572, 
when he glimpsed a new star in the sky within the constellation Cassiopeia. It was brighter than Venus, and according to his mathematical calculations, lay further out than the moon and was in the realm of fixed stars. The new star stayed in the sky until March of 1574, where it faded from view. Brahe's book on the subject, entitled De Nova Stella, earned him fame as a top astronomer all throughout Europe. His precise measurements indicated that new stars, like the one he'd witnessed, were not tailless comets, as other astronomers believed, but stellar bodies far beyond the moon. It was time for Tycho to drop his law practice and become a full-time astronomer, this time with the blessing of the family. Assisting Tycho with much of his observational and mathematical work was his sister, Sophie Brahe. She had been raised with their father and mother and not with their rich uncle Jorgen, but despite their ten years' difference in age, the siblings were bonded by their love of science. A very skilled scientist, Sophie was responsible for a great deal of information added to her brother's astronomical journal. The two of them had the great fortune of working together at an immense astronomical facility of Tycho's own design, located on the island of Hven. Hven, with a total area of 7.5 kilometers, was gifted to Tycho Brahe by the King of Denmark and Norway, Frederick II, after the publication of De Nova Stella. Construction of the Castle of Urania lasted from 1576 to 1580. Dedicated to Urania, the Greek muse of astronomy, Uraniborg was designed in the flamboyant and striking style of the Flemish Renaissance. Work was overseen by the Danish architect Hans van Emden and sculptor Johann Gregor van der Schart. The main building of Uraniborg was square, about 15 meters on a side, and built mostly of red brick. It featured two semicircular towers, one on each side of the main building. Brahe spared none of his patron's expense. In his 1598 book, Astronomia Istareta Mechanica, he included careful, colorful illustrations of his immense facility. Surrounded by a huge, square, rammed earth wall lay the grounds of the facility, which were painstakingly landscaped and symmetrically tiled. At the center of the tile work lay the main building, which resembled a French castle, complete with multiple blue-capped turrets. It was nothing less than a palace of astronomy. The main floor consisted of four rooms, one of which was occupied by Prahe and his family, the other three for visiting astronomers. The northern tower housed the kitchens, and the southern, a library. In this library, and within Brahe's personal study, is etched the motto, Non habiri sed esse, which translates from Latin to, What one is, 
is more important than what one is perceived to be. The second floor was divided into three rooms, two of equal size and one larger. The larger room was reserved for visiting royalty, which included James VI of Scotland, who would later be James I of England following the death of Queen Elizabeth I. He visited on March 20th, 1590. On this level of the castle, the towers housed the primary astronomical instruments, accessed from outside the building or from doors on this floor. Balconies, supported on wooden posts, housed additional instruments slightly further from the building, giving them a wider angle of view. On the third floor was a loft, subdivided into eight smaller rooms for students. Uraniborg also sported a very large basement. This housed the alchemical laboratory at one end and storage for food, salt, and fuel at the other. Additionally, Uraniborg contained a small prison in order to deal with disorderly tenants or guests. The observatory had a large mural quadrant affixed to a north-south wall, used to measure the altitude of stars as they passed the meridian. An extensive garden lay between the mound walls and the main building. In addition to being quite beautiful, the garden supplied herbs for Brahe's medical chemistry experiments. Extending beyond the walls, Uraniborg's extensive infrastructure included a system of aquaculture ponds whose overflow powered a paper mill. The construction was a very unique phenomenon because it occurred at an interesting time in history. This was one of the last astronomical buildings constructed before the development of the telescope. It was an extremely expensive project, estimated to have cost about 1% of the entire state budget during construction. The island of Fen came to be an economic microcosm all unto itself. Tycho Brahe was at the head of all departments, both formal and informal. He endeavored to act in the best interest of the staff employed at his Palace of Science, going so far as to construct manufacturing centers and housing for everyone involved. At Uraniborg, Sophia helped her brother chart the stars, track the progress of planets, and create horoscopes. When she wasn't peering closely at quadrants at Uraniborg, Sophia was creating breathtaking gardens in Eriksholm, Denmark. Her skills at horticulture and landscaping were widely acclaimed, and her knowledge of chemistry and astronomy were well known in the contemporary scientific community. Her parents, however, were embarrassed and angry at their daughter's choice to pursue science. Being very well off and exceptionally traditional, the family expected Sophia to conform to the role of wife and mother. So against her family's wishes, Sophia continued to follow her natural instincts. Beside Tycho and a long line of highly respected astronomers, philosophers, and other great minds of the day, Sophia helped her brother make his most important assertion. The stars out past the moon were not fixed in the sky. Careful observation and nearly endless stacks of notes, charts, and journals 
led Tycho to the confident declaration that the stars of the night were, in fact, on a constant journey, not unlike that of the moon and planets. A comet passed overhead from November 1577 to January of 1578. And Tycho's precise observations and calculations allowed him to prove that the distance between Earth and the comet was greater than the distance between Earth and the moon. This helped him solidify his theory that the stars did not exist in a constant, fixed state, since the comet clearly had come from somewhere outside the earthly realm. Famed German astronomer Johann Kepler joined Tycho Brahe at Uraniburg in the late years of the 16th century, and the two worked together to make detailed, constant observations of the sky. Whereas Brahe had been trying to prove the fact that the Earth was the center of the cosmos through his observations, Kepler began to see something a little different. It looked to him as if the Sun made more sense at the center of the universe. The extraordinary life of Tycho Brahe came to an even more extraordinary end on October 24th of 1601. Having been invited to a luxurious banquet in Prague, the 54-year-old astronomical genius refrained from getting up from the table to go and urinate, though he needed to do so very badly. He apparently sat for hours, politely making conversation and being respectful to his host, during which time his bladder burst and caused a terrible infection. Tycho died 11 days later. Before dying, he pleaded with Kepler to finish his work and ensure it was published. His successor did so, but used the vast storehouse of data that had been collected to support his own theory that the cosmos was, in fact, circling around the sun, and not, as Tycho Brahe believed, around the Earth. Thank you so much for listening. It would mean a lot if you would consider supporting the podcast with a cup or two of tea. Links are in the show notes. Thank you. Good night.